0: Sports New York Knicks podcast. Andre Gallibur, the finals are here. The Knicks foe, the Miami Heat, make it to the finals. Uh, another, I don't know how to say it at this point. I mean, they were up 3-0 in the series and it was all like, hey, look how the Knicks played the Heat. And then Boston came back on them. But then game seven, you don't see it coming. Game seven. On the road, Miami not only beats Boston, but they blow them out. Of course, Tatum's, Tatum's injury, uh, obviously a factor in the game, which is kind of why you don't take games for granted. Not to say that Boston did, but they clearly weren't ready those first three games. If they were, then maybe they win the series. Simple as that. You know, Of course, there were some strategic changes made in the series, but Miami's zone is kind of perplexing. And... The thing that Boston needed to do or was doing to beat that zone is they were hitting outside shots, and in Game 7, they weren't. Simple as that. And we talked about some of the things the Knicks could have done to to beat the Heat, but it, it did come down to the Knicks getting good shots and not hitting them. <laughs> it, did, it did come down to that. I know there's been a lot of talk about how how much How much uh oversimplification that is to say hit or miss? you hear Brian Scalabrini talk about it who who covers the Celtics uh, he's one of the I think he's the radio guy and the post game guy pre and post game guy for the Celtics. He talks about you know pretty much dismissing the opinions of people who talk as simple as uh, as hit or miss. They didn't hit their shots, so they lost. Because there's effort and energy and ball movement that's in the middle of that. It's in the midst of that as well. And I didn't think Boston had good ball movement consistently throughout this game. It's one thing they shoot a lot of threes. But how those threes come, it matters. It's one of the things that I was talking about with the Knicks and their slow pace. Is It it puts a lot of pressure on each one of their three-point shots because they don't get enough of them. And the ball doesn't move enough for everyone to be in rhythm. That was one of the values Of the the much maligned triangle offense When it was at its best Is is that the movement, the ball movement And the reads and the read and react Kept everyone involved It put everyone in rhythm Which makes everyone a little bit more comfortable And confident when the ball finds them To make a play When the ball doesn't find everyone's hands When everyone is kind of just standing around staring That rhythm isn't there And when the ball finds them That's all it takes just to be a little bit off And that kind of did Boston in it kind of did Boston in. It wasn't the only thing, but that was a big part of it. That ball needed to move around sharper. need needed to be a little bit more crisp, a little less one-on-one. He had a big turnover game from Jalen Brown, who might have played his last game with Boston, and I'm sure he regrets it looking like that. But how does this relate to the Knicks? Well, when you have a team that doesn't have a bunch of strong three-point shooters, you look at this situation and you know there's two things the Knicks have to improve. I believe the Knicks have to improve their their offense in general. I think I think they need to be more of a ball movement offense. I think they need to be more of a read and react offense. It doesn't mean the ball can't find Jalen Brunson. You see Jimmy Butler is finding a way to get his rocks off against teams and being an offense that Encourages ball movement, body movement, attacking closeouts, spacing the floor. And it's easier for them because they don't have a center that's standing in the middle of the paint. Even though Bam doesn't shoot threes, just him being at the free throw line makes people guard him at the free throw line because he can hit that shot. Even though I probably wouldn't. (laughs) I would be at the front of the rim all the time and I would just close out on him. That being said, the Knicks have to find a way to be more effective offensively, even with Mitchell Robinson on the floor. You see with Denver, you have Aaron Gordon, who wasn't a strong outside shooter, even though he hit some threes in that, that closeout game against the Lakers. They had to very simply make an adjustment. They can't have Aaron Gordon stand under the rim because it makes things more difficult for Joker. So they had him outside doing dribble handoffs and, and a few off the ball screens, that way you can't just stay in the paint because you got to go out there and guard those shooters who don't need much space to put the shot up. Very aggressive, no hesitation, in rhythm. And that's what happens when the ball moves around and the Knicks just don't have enough ball movement in the way they approach the game to to get that kind of freedom uh, and confidence shooting the ball. And I think that's a factor. It needs to change. And it is one of the reasons why, whether, whether they articulate it differently or not, why people want Tibbs fired because they, they see the offense being, you know, rudimentary. Now that said, the Knicks had an efficient offense, but I just don't think it's I don't think it, it's a winnable offense. I think it's a I think it's a playoff offense situationally. I think you need to be you need to have the habit of good ball movement body movement, read and react, because that encourages players. It gives players confidence. It gives players rhythm and it allows them to perform in the way that Caleb Martin is performing and Struis is performing and Duncan Robinson is performing because they're used to it. You're not asking them to step out of a comfort zone. That is their comfort zone. That doesn't mean you can't in certain possessions I saw Jalen Brunson with five minutes something to go in the game, even though that's controversial because when you slow down an offense and change an offense down the stretch of a game, it can go left on you, but you can still have the ball find Jalen Brunson it just like it finds Jimmy Butler. you can still do it, so I don't think see the difference between me and a lot of people I don't think you need to fire the coach to do that i think I just think you need. A shift in philosophy and maybe an assistant coach that, you know, knows how to, you know, install that offense and, and draw up plays. I think that's what you need. It's as simple as that. You don't have to change the head coach. You think, you think all the head coaches around the league, they all do everything that's happening on the court. They, they're all personally responsible for it. That's not how that works. But it's, I think it's 100% a change that needs to be made now. I think that needs to be made regardless. But let's talk about the actual personnel. Fred Katz wrote an article a few weeks ago right after the season about essentially what the Knicks' plan might be to improve one of their more glaring weaknesses in that shooting, right? During the playoff series, there was a lot of talk. And I talked about it, too, about how they need to put more shooting on the floor and how Evan Fournier probably should have been playing. And I made the point that Fred Katz was more, much more eloquent in making in his article that just putting Fournier out there doesn't solve your shooting problem. Because, one, the ball is not going to find Fournier nearly as much as you think it is, even though his presence alone would open things up. It wouldn't open things up any more than it did when Grimes was on the floor. And Grimes didn't get a ton of three-point shots. But he didn't get a ton of three-point shots because they paid a little bit more attention to him than they were Hart and, to a lesser extent, RJ. Right? Fournier would get the same attention. Now, you put Grimes and Fournier on the floor, and you say, oh, it's really going to be opened up. The problem is, how much is Fournier going to play? Are you not playing Hart anymore? Do you not value the things that Hart does anymore? Are you not playing RJ anymore? You're still going to play RJ a ton of minutes. You're still, even if you want to say Hart is debatable, you're still going to play all of these guys Randall, Mitchell, RJ, uh, obviously Brunson, Grimes. You're still going to play these guys big minutes. How much do you think you're playing Fournier? You're playing Fournier 40 40 minutes a game now? In the big moments of the game, Fournier is likely not going to be on the floor unless he is scorching hot. And all season long, you have not seen Fournier come into the game and get enough shots to get scorching hot and change the game offensively. And let me take you one step further. Fournier was on the floor last year where the Knicks were a lottery team. Broke the records for the most three pointers made by a neck in a season, and the Knicks were a lottery team. The Knicks had Burks playing big minutes last year. They had IQ who struggled from three last year, which people forget, playing big minutes. They had same Randall who was was not hitting anything from the outside. They had RJ on the floor. Obviously Mitchell wasn't playing. I mean, I'm sorry, was playing. The Knicks weren't a powerhouse offensively. He hit a ton of threes. Because it still came down to the efficiency and effectiveness of the other players on the floor. Randall wasn't playing as well last year. RJ didn't shoot well last year, nor did he shoot well this year. Burke shot fine. IQ did not. His presence alone is not enough to change the fortunes of the offense. But I will say that Grimes playing... Open the offense up, and Hart playing instead of Grimes down the stretch of their game is definitely a questionable decision. Even though Hart made a big three early in the fourth and made some big plays, so you can't forget that. So you would say, okay, Grimes playing—you know—disproves the theory that Fournier would be a plus to the offense because you know he spread the floor. But Grimes is a two-way player. He's a two-way player. So he's not giving up as much as he's giving, or more. And Fournier isn't. You look at the situation with Miami and Tyler Hero. You hear people say, oh, Miami made it to the finals without Oladipo and Tyler Hero. All right, man. Oladipo was not exactly lighting it up. There's a nice body to throw out there. I can still play some defense, but Oladipo wasn't exactly lighting it up. Okay? Tyler Hero, however, had an outstanding offensive season. Much more nuanced argument. Tyler Hero is a sieve defensively. He's not the biggest guy in the world. So when he plays, if he's playing with Gabe Benson or Kyle Lowry, you actually have a smaller backcourt. With the reintroduction of Duncan Robinson into the rotation and more minutes for Caleb Martin, you actually have a pretty big team two through four. I mean, Bam isn't the biggest center in the world. All right, but he's a very capable one. You actually have a, a switchable team, and Kyle Lowry can switch with anyone. They switch with Gabe Vincent whether they should or they shouldn't. Okay? But when you have Tyler Hero out there, there's not going to be any physicality to your defense. It's not going to be they're going to target him every play. Tyler Hero is going to give up points when he's on the floor. And to get points from Tyler Hero, you're talking about a guy that has to have to blow in his hands most of the time. Because his spot-up game is, is just as efficient at this point as Caleb Martin, Struess, or Duncan Robinson, or less so. So the catch-and-shoot game, you're not losing anything. You're losing the on-the-ball attack that Hero provides. But you're getting enough of that from Jimmy Butler, and you're getting just as good an offense from having the ball movement and the closeout attacks. The constant drive and kicks, you're getting just as good an offense with the guys are on the floor as you would if the ball was centered around Hero too many possessions per game. Because now you got two guys that got an ISO and Hero and Butler. Their offense is just fine without him. That doesn't mean that Hero didn't have a good season. That doesn't mean that Hero isn't a good, efficient offensive player. It means that the points that Hero is giving you, you can get from other players because of how your your offense runs. Ball movement-wise, attack-closeout-wise, kick wise that, that freedom, that shared mentality on the offensive end was more effective, at the very least, just as effective as having hero on the floor. So you did not lose much, and you possibly and probably gained because defensively, you, you replaced them with guys who played better defense. So all of that to say that you can't just add a shooter to what the Knicks do and not consider the other side of the ball, number one. Number two, to Fred Katz's point in his article, something that I was saying in my closeout and, and throughout the series in Miami against Miami too, you have to replace players in a rotation as well. Your argument better not be, oh, we can just add 10-man rotation. The reason why they switched to a nine-man rotation is because it benefited the players who were in the rotation. The players wanted to switch to a nine-man rotation. They played better when less guys were playing. They understood their roles better. They got into rhythm better. I think that just from being an observer of the team all year long, I think that's very much about IQ. IQ is the only guy in the rotation that has consistent usage but is up and down. He's up and down. And you're wondering, one game you watch IQ, and it's like, wow, he's very aggressive. He's he's a factor when he's out there on the floor. And in another game, you're watching him, and you're like, what are you doing? You're not doing anything. And you saw that in the playoffs, not doing anything offensively. not Defensively, he's been good. Great. Why? He's just not in rhythm. He's not... He's not feeling it. He's not there yet. Didn't have his confidence in the game. That's something that he needs to improve. But one of the things that he needed, I feel, was he needed the rotation to be cut down so that he can have the ball, he could touch the ball more, can get more shots, more opportunities. This also affects Grimes as a rhythm player. And because of the lack of ball movement and the lack of diversification and attacks in the next offense, he doesn't get into rhythm and he gets lost. Right, so that's why the rotation was cut down. So you're not adding anyone to this rotation, and even if you did, they're not going to play significant minutes. Where are they going to play minutes at? Not going to play it at power forward, and not going to play it at small forward. They're not going to play it at point guard. Where are they going to play it at? You don't want Grimes to play anymore because if Grimes gets less minutes, you're figuring IQ is going to get some of those minutes. Oh no, I want this this mystery extra guy in the rotation who's going to take everybody's minutes. No. Now, some of you might be sitting there saying we shouldn't bring Hart back because, you know, Hart can't shoot and blah, blah, blah. Okay, you know, that's a debate for another day. But unless you are replacing someone in a rotation, and that's the point, unless you're replacing someone in rotation, you're not adding anyone to this team that's going to play significantly enough. And if you want to add somebody, they better be a two-way player. So now that that's understood, if that's the baseline understanding of where we're coming from, You're looking at the rotation and you're saying, I need to replace someone in this rotation or people in this rotation to make the team a more efficient offense and more effective from outside. Because the players that are playing aren't good enough shooters. So let's explore that a little bit. IQ finished the season from December 20th, damn near shooting 40% from three. Jalen Brunson shot damn near 40% from three. I think it was exactly 40% from three. So you have two guys that play 25, 30 minutes. 30, I think Jalen was right around 32, 33 minutes, somewhere around there. Uh, and IQ was right around 26, 27. I should have the numbers in front of me, but it's not important. I think we all know that they both play a lot. Here's two guys who shoot about 40% from three, which is tremendous. Then you have Quentin Grimes who shot about 40% from three. You have Now you have the three guys that play the most minutes in your backcourt shooting about 40% from three. RJ Barrett was terrible from three. And because he was terrible from three, a lot of players sagged off of him. Now they would, they would contest. I don't agree with the notion that they let him shoot. You saw a lot of letting him shoot in the Cavs series in the first few games. And then they paid the price for that. I don't think they let him shoot, but they would sag off of him. Okay. Then you have Julius Randle. The number one problem with Julius Randle is not his shooting percentage. It's the fact that he doesn't relocate to the three-point line very often. So if the play calls for him to be standing outside, he'll stand out there. But if the play called for ball movement, drive and kick, and he ended up finding his way into the mid-range area, he doesn't relocate to the three-point line. That's his major problem. So he constantly crowds the paint unless the play calls for him not to be in the paint. He doesn't have the read and react that dictates he runs out to the three-point line in the middle of the play. That's something that Miami does Every position across the board, except for Bam, who's centered around the free throw line, extended and below. Everybody else on the floor, they're running to the three point line. If they find themselves inside the paint, they'll relocate to the three point line to spread the floor some more. Constantly making your defense scramble around to get a hand in someone's face because they're very aggressive shooters. The Knicks, Randall doesn't do that. That's his major problem. If Randall was just standing outside, they would Most teams, they're going to sag off of him But then they're going to start paying That's what you've seen when he's been outside You've seen guys sag off him a little bit But then they start paying the price Because when he gets into a rhythm He'll keep knocking him down Side note where, where he struggles and he's, He needs to attack closeouts When they close out on him, he needs to attack the closeout He doesn't do that enough He doesn't attack the closeout But that's a conversation for a different day That's Randall's problem, right? Obi Toppin, great floor spacer, not a very streaky shooter right now. His numbers were very good to begin the season. Then he got hurt, and then they they tailed off, and he sort of up and down in the playoff. I like I like Obi shooting the ball. I don't care what no one says. I like him shooting the ball. Does he take too many threes? Does he diversify his game? Conversation for another day. I 100% agree but I like the way he spaces the floor. I like how aggressively he tries to space the floor. If you watch Obi play off the ball, he is aggressively trying to space the floor all the time. If he finds himself in the paint, he is darting to the perimeter to spread the floor. And I love that about him. Love it, but he hasn't played that many minutes and he stopped shooting efficiently in the second half of the season. Okay. These are the main guys that are playing. Josh Hart is now a part of his team. Josh Hart Started the season, in the regular season, hitting shooting the three decently for the Knicks. And then he tailed off in the playoffs. Don't like it. That's a conversation for another day. Josh Hart is going to be a floor spacing problem if he's not going to be a more aggressive shooter. And actually knock them down. So of the players that we know, and we're assuming that Josh Hart is going to be back. Of the players that we know who are going to be in this rotation... And I'm not including Hartenstein. I don't even want to start. Don't even get me started on the fact that Hartenstein was shooting threes for the Clippers and came to New York. And not only could he not hit it when he finally got it, but it's never out there to begin with. Don't even get me started. I told you about the offensive philosophy of the team. It needs adjusting. We talked about that. Josh Hart, R.J. Barrett, and for different reasons, Julius Randle are a major problem with the spacing. Outside of the, the, the game theory of the New York Knicks, the offensive strategy of the Knicks that affects its, its spacing, those guys are not being replaced in the lineup. They're not. They're capable of hitting open shot, but they're streaky. I think they would improve if the offense was more free-flowing. But those guys are not being removed from the offense. And then we name the other guys who shoot pretty well from three. So what is the major issue Not the only, but the major issue with the Knicks spacing? It's Mitchell Robinson. And there's no shade to Mitchell Robinson. This is what he does. He's not the only center that doesn't shoot threes. It's just that the Knicks don't use him properly as a guy who doesn't shoot threes. Looney doesn't shoot threes, but you know what Looney does? When Looney can get the ball around the basket, he's able to make the simplest of moves to get the ball up to the Basket and be an effective scorer in the paint when he's right in front of the rim, whereas Mitchell isn't. There's no floater game for Mitchell. Mitchell's always kind of. Buried behind someone under the rim looking for the offensive rebound. The fact that his presence is under the rim all the time is the major problem with the spacing. Because even if everyone else is spacing the floor and being guarded on the perimeter, there is still the best interior defender on the team standing in front of the rim every time someone goes there. Some of that is Mitchell and how he reads the floor and how he creates passing angles for himself. He... You know, Cody Zeller is able to find passing angles for himself when people drive the paint, you know, adjusting to how the defense commits to the, to the to the person driving the ball. He doesn't do any of that. So a lot of that is on him. And I remember being at a Nick game years ago when Fisdale was a coach and watching Randall melt down because, because Mitchell was not presenting him. He's not in the right place when he penetrated to the basket. He was supposed to be somewhere and he wasn't there. Randall was telling him about it. He got frustrated. He went to the bench, screaming at the bench because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And if you continue to watch the games, Mitchell Robinson is never in a clean position to catch the ball under the rim. Not going to say he has terrible hands, but he doesn't have great hands. And Randall's not a great passer. So when Randall drives the ball and tries to throw him the pass, it's usually too hard. It's not placed properly. It's usually kind of awkward, and he's not going to clean it up for him. And if he can't just catch it and go up, it's not going to be a basket. And in the playoffs, they're just going to wrap him up and foul him. And kudos to Mitchell for hitting some big free throws down the stretch. I think it was game five. But he has to improve his free throw shooting. I see what's floating around Twitter right now is a clip from, I believe, last summer where he was playing a pickup game and he was doing everything under the sun, looking like a poor man's Kevin Durant. I don't want to see none of that. I see you stupid fools falling for that trick again. The man can barely hit a free throw and can barely hit a two-foot... Push shot because you never see him take it. And y'all out here saying that he's out. he should be out on the perimeter nicing people up like Chris Stapps Porzingis. Man, just hit a free throw. Hit a little floater. Have a little baseline jump shot. Just do what Bam is doing. And Bam doesn't even take that shot half the time, he gets hot. But you see the way he struggled down the stretch of this series. Just get a little, you know, just a little float game. We talked about this in the preseason. Just a little float game in the middle of the paint. That's it. But again, so that we're clear here, that's not what he's being asked to do. He's being asked to be around the front of the rim because he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the game. You can't be one of the best offensive rebounders in the game if you're spotted up at the three-point line, i.e. why Hartenstein is not out there. If you're in the middle of the paint looking for a floater, if you're on the baseline looking for a jump shot, jump shooter, um, I'm sorry, a sure, jump shot, that's not what they're asking him to do. They want him to be an offensive rebounder, which means he's finding himself around the rim all the time, trying to fight for position. He's not crashing the boards, which is what he really should be doing. He should be just positioning himself, just you know, just so he can have some room to operate. Even if you don't have the floater, you can pump fake and power dribble and go up, or you know, you can you know drop step and go up. Something like Looney does. You can be effective. You can be in an effective offense with a, with someone who doesn't shoot. A lot of times, Golden State has two guys that don't shoot with the ball. I understand that is a slightly different breed of player in what he does, but they have two guys that don't shoot, and they're still able to get to the basket and shoot the ball. Obviously, they have the greatest shooters of all time on their team, so it makes it a little bit easier, but it's still the concept is still sound. There are things you can do if, one, you train the team to do it. Number two, if Mitchell just had a little bit more offensive savvy, and understood where how to present himself, how to how to score one dribble away, a little bit more diversification in his game. And yeah, you might sacrifice some offensive rebounds, but the only reason why he has so many offensive rebounds is because the Knicks miss so many shots, and a lot of times, a lot of times the reason why they miss so many shots is because there's no spacing in the paint. And the reason why he gets so many offensive rebounds compared to the rest of the league is because the rest of the league does not have a designated offensive rebounder. Most teams don't have guys standing on the rim trying to rebound the ball all the time, or offensive rebound all, all the time. They spread the floor. So it's a great skill. It's a great thing that he's carved himself out, carved himself, uh, carved a place in the, in the league for himself. But there's more than one way to skin a cat. Look at Miami for example. Look at Miami for example. You look where Bam is half the time, they get their share of offensive rebounds. They did it against the Knicks. You can still get offensive rebounds, maybe it takes a little bit more effort, but it's for the greater good. There's more than one way to skin a cat. The point is to score. If you can create better scoring opportunities for you or your team by playing a little bit differently and having him vacate the point, the the paint, then do that. Because then your offensive efficiency will go up and you'll score in different ways. Instead of counting on the offensive rebounds, something that the Miami Heat were able to take away. And you guys are saying, a lot of you guys are saying, oh, uh, Mitchell didn't have effort. And it wasn't effort. He was getting double teamed on the box outs. They were getting him. They were rooting him out of the paint. They weren't stupid enough to let him offensive rebound. And they had the skill and talent and understanding on how to keep him out of the paint, unlike the Cavs. So, if that's not going to happen, then maybe Mitchell Robinson needs to be replaced. And you can talk about replacing Randall and Trey. I'm not going to argue any of that right now. But this is now the baseline understanding of where you need to be. Where, this is how you can start making your decisions. When you understand that these are the reasons and causes for the situation, the weaknesses. You can't just add Fournier to the lineup. You can't just add a shooter to the lineup. You have to replace someone. And if you replace someone, understand that they're likely not going to get as many three-point shots as you want them to get as long as no one has to help from the perimeter because there's always help at the paint because Mitchell is down there. So unless unless you're going to have Mitchell play a different kind of game down there and work all summer on that game and then practice it come next season, even when things start to get look a little easy against the regular season because you're playing the Charlotte Hornets and the Washington Wizards, You have to understand that in the playoffs, you better be disciplined in doing the things that you worked on this summer or you're not going to score efficiently. If you're not going to do that, then you need to replace Mitchell Robinson, especially if you're not replacing Julius Randle because Julius Randle's game is probably not going to change significantly enough to make Mitchell any more effective or the team any more effective when it comes to spacing. This is no shade to Mitchell. Sometimes you got to... Sometimes you got to exchange players. I mean, obviously the term is trade, but you have to exchange skill sets to be better. Remember, Nurkic used to be on Denver, and he was a very skillful player. He is a very skillful player. He used to be on Denver, and it was like, oh, we can't have Denver and Joker. I mean, we can't. I'm sorry. We can't have Nurkic and Joker. You got to get rid of one. Wisely, they chose the right one. Doesn't mean that Nurkish wasn't good. Is that his skill set wasn't complementary to the players that you know are gonna be here? Or the type of players that you know are gonna be here. Doesn't mean he's not good, doesn't mean he doesn't have value, doesn't mean that it's gonna take a lot to replace him, or it's not gonna take a lot to replace him. It just means that maybe based on all of the factors laid out here on the show, the easiest thing to do. Is to replace him. Because some of the other players. Even if you replace them. Like IQ. Or Grimes. Are still going to be replaced with guys. Who at, at best are going to shoot the ball. As well as they have. Statistically. So how are you upgrading. And then you look at RJ and Randall. And it's like well Yeah. You can upgrade the shooting at those positions. But what is the what is the cost? Are we going to really trade RJ just to upgrade shooting? Or are we trading RJ to get a much better player than RJ? Because as much as you may not like RJ, as much as you think he's piss poor, he's still there's something he's giving the team that you're not going to get from just any person. So you're not going to switch him out just so you can make Mitchell more effective. And the person you switch him out for He's probably somebody who wants to get to the front of the rim, too. Maybe he has a skill set that can work around Mitchell, similar to Jalen Brunson. But still, when there's always someone at the front of the rim, I don't care who you are. The playoffs will expose that as a floor for your offense. The playoffs will expose it. You can't just have somebody sitting in the front of the rim all the time if you're not gonna strategically use that person differently. I guess that's an oxymoron. If they're in the rim all the time, and you're not using them differently. The point is you can't use them at the rim all the time. That's the point. So now we get into what needs to be what needs to be done. What moves can the Knicks make? Please understand the Knicks are in one of the best positions in the league. To make a big move. They have the picks. They have some flexibility salary-wise with contracts like Fournier and Rose. There aren't many teams that have money. There aren't many teams that have picks. If somebody comes available, it's just about picking the right kind of player. And maybe you can make less moves on this roster if you replace one guy. Sure, you can replace Randall. You can replace RJ because they're not great shooters and they play lots of minutes. Sure, you can replace those guys. You're not going to get equal value for Randall because Randall is just a very nuanced player in what he gives you and what he doesn't. It's hard to get equal value. He makes these on a good contract. RJ is on a good contract, too, and he's very young. So it's like you're giving up on a guy who performed in the playoffs of all places. Struggle in the regular season, performed in the playoffs, and one of of the reasons for his struggles in the regular season, one of, not all, is the fact that he can't get all the way to the front of the rim, not just because of his own lack of skill set, but because there's always someone there. Maybe if you change the fact that someone is always there, this offense looks better. Maybe that's the easiest move to make. Maybe that one move makes the players that you already have on the roster, it makes them better. Maybe we're going to wrap this up because this is running long. Didn't get to the free agent moves on this show, but the next show we're going to get into potential moves that might make the existing players on the roster better instead of having to switch out so many of the existing players because that kind of defeats the purpose of being so close, being as close as the Knicks were this year. But make sure you check out SportsEthos.com. I'm definitely going to dive into some of these betting podcasts. I actually started betting. I bet on the Heat. Remember I told you that the Heat had a better time, better chance to beat the 76ers than Boston, but they still had a good chance? I still believe that. And obviously, they had a good chance. And they took Boston out. Definitely rolled the dice, put some money on them, almost got burned. They offered me a cash out where I would lose like 50 bucks if I took it at 3-0. And I scoffed at it. And then they come all the way back. I was on pins and needles. But Miami pulled it out in surprising fashion. Some of those player props. That's why you want to listen to these Sports Ethos betting podcasts. Check them out at SportsEthos.com. Check them out at SportsEthos on Twitter. At EthosNicks. Until next time.